Good morning, everyone. Sorry about being a little awkward, just waiting for the signal. There is a signal. Well, it's good to be with you all and to praise our awesome Savior. What a Savior we have in Jesus, the only one, the risen and exalted King. Let's worship him. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Today, we will have communion following at the end of service. So this is open to any follower of Jesus Christ. Um, if you've been born again through faith in him, invite you at the end of our time. We'll all just invite people to come forward and we'll take of the cup and the bread and then we will partake together in a prayer. I'll just lead a prayer and we'll just, uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We have a living savior and uh, we get to remember him not just today, but every day because of the goodness he's shown us all. Uh, this week also we have Good Friday, so at 9 a.m. we have a Good Friday service here uh, at the church, and then Sunday the Easter service is at the normal 10 a.m. time. So you're welcome to come to those and uh, really celebrate Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and all that he has accomplished and is doing for us. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 40, and let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you for the new life that we have through you, that your favor is for life, that you give us great joy and peace in your presence, and that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you want to speak to us. And, and Lord, we confess, we do forget things. We do need to remember. We need to be reminded. And we thank you that you do that in your word. You remind us of many things so that we might turn from sin. We might do the things that please you. We might bring you glory and honor and thank you that it's you who works in and through each one of us, that this is your work. We're part of your kingdom, part of your family, and that you will accomplish it because you are faithful. I pray we'd be your faithful servants too, that uh, in whom you are well pleased. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 11 November, Remembrance Day. Australia and the other Commonwealth nations set aside that day, the 11th day of the 11th month at 11 a.m. So we should be able to remember that, right? Uh, that is the t a one minute time of silence that we remember the service and sacrifice of those who gave their all in wars and conflicts and peacekeeping operations, lest we forget. And see, we have to know something before we could forget it. We have to know it. We have to have that knowledge. Like if I don't know your name, I can't forget your name. If you don't know his or her birthday, you can't forget it because you didn't know it. Um, but we know we can be forgetful, and so we often make reminders for ourselves. We write details in a diary, or we write uh, a list and leave it in a conspicuous place because that, that'll remind me to pick something up from the shops. And I was thinking of, uh, I don't know why, but this, this thought of remembering reminded me of the Lion King with Simba, who had forgotten who he was, so it was said. He had this vision, his late father, uh, Mufasa's talking to him, and he said, look inside yourself, remember who you are. And he said, you have forgotten who you are and thus have forgotten me. But the Bible puts it exactly opposite. 
that it's not in looking inside yourself that you find your identity. It's in looking to God that we recognize who created us, who our Father is, because we've been born again through faith in Jesus. And God gives this directive to the children of Abraham in Isaiah 51.1. He says, Look to, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. So God spoke to the children of Israel. He says, remember the kindness and the goodness I showed your father Abraham and Sarah. I brought, I was faithful to my covenant. I brought them out. Remember me, look to me, you who follow righteousness. And as we seek the Lord, our righteousness, we're not forgotten. He will always remember us. He always knows those who cry out to him. So in Genesis 40, uh, we reached this passage with Joseph. He had served 11 years in the house of Potiphar as a slave, the captain of the guard, and he remembered who he was. He remembered God, the uh, God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And he refused to sin despite temptations by Potiphar's wife. He was faithful and loyal to his master. And after he was accused of sexual assault, he was put in the prison where he was for two years. And he found favor in the eyes of the jailer who made him responsible to serve the other inmates. He gave him this position of responsibility. And it wasn't in knowing himself that Joseph was prosperous, but because he knew God who was with him. God helped him. God gave him grace and favor. And so our success is not, try, it's not found in trying to be who we want to be. It's knowing who God is and following him, trusting him. And that's where that abundant life is for all believers. So let's pick up our passage in Genesis 40, starting in verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler and baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Now, while Joseph is in prison, he's innocent of the accusations leveled against him. It says Pharaoh sent the chief butler or cupbearer and the baker to prison because they had offended him. Now, it was very dangerous to offend the king, the sovereign, the one who held your life in his hand. He chose whether you lived or died. He's not the one you want to be on the wrong side of, and he sends them to prison. Pharaoh was believed to be God in human form. He was the link between humans and the gods that the people worshipped. And so they revered him as a deity. And we're not told why they were there, but we're, we read that Joseph served them. We read in the previous chapter that God was with Joseph. He gave him favor in the eyes of the jailer, and he made his efforts prosper. Now, it says captain of the guard here. Some think that this could be Potiphar, but the reason why there's a distinction between them, there were likely many people that were in the role of captain. So I don't think this is him. It really doesn't matter. But what we see of Joseph, he had this strong work ethic. His rise in the house of Potiphar was not ambition. He was a faithful servant. He was obedient. He was loyal to God. And I think people who are in prison, especially wrongfully, their main thought is, how do I get out of here? I've been wrongfully imprisoned. I don't deserve to be in here and make all their effort to get out. 
to look to see how can I make an appeal, to, to go through the books to find a loophole, to try to find some way to, to exonerate yourself. We don't see Joseph doing that. We see him serving right where God had him in a prison unfairly. He doesn't have the promise of reduced sentence or greater privileges. We don't read of his treatment changing at all, but he was faithful. When we, have, when we are unfairly treated, quite often a root of bitterness can grow within us. Now, on my lawn, there, there can be many weeds that grow. And whenever I see these spiny weeds, I know that underneath those leaves, there are roots. And sometimes we can just go through and be fine to mow the weeds and leave the roots behind. Who has ever done that? I've done that. But after I see that weed a few times, I'm like, all right, I've got to dig these out before I mow. But bitterness, it cannot be hidden within us. If there is a root of bitterness, it begins to show in the things we say, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our temper. It reveals the condition of our heart, that there's bitterness there. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. When we have bitter or unkind or careless or harsh words, bitterness can be at the root of that. And we need to deal with the root. We can be apologetic over the thing we say, but God would have us address the bitterness that's caused us to say those things. So let's not be content to just clear away the leaves. Let's deal with the root. Because God, he's able to change us from within. Remember the waters of Marah, how they were bitter, the people could not drink them? Moses, God showed him a tree, he threw it in the water, and it made those bitter waters sweet. It changed their properties so that it was drinkable. And in the same way, we have bitterness within us, and God is able to transform us from within. That the words of our mouth, the meditations of our hearts can be acceptable in the sight of the Lord and refresh others. Praise God for that. Genesis 40, verse 5. Then the butler and baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Joseph was checking on the butler and baker. He knew them well. He had been serving them and he saw they were dejected. They were depressed. But rather than being bitter or preoccupied with his own troubles, the fact he was unfairly in prison, he showed kindness by inquiring. He noticed they were down. He said, guys, what's the problem? And they said they were both disturbed by dreams that they had. Not so much they were disturbed over the dreams, but there was no one to interpret the dream for them. They assumed that knowledge would provide comfort or guidance they desired. Remember King Solomon he said, I've made knowledge my pursuit, and it only added to my grief and anguish and inner conflict. So sometimes knowing something, it doesn't uh, provide the comfort we think it would. But Joseph says, he, all interpretations belong to God. 
Tell me your dream. Share your dream with me. And since God, the interpretation belongs to the God, well, all dreams belong to him as well. The Bible is clear, however, that not all dreams have spiritual significance. They're not all a message from God. Uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5.3 and verse 7, For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. And in verse 7, For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity, but fear God. You guys ever had those repetitive dreams? I've had a couple over the years, like when I was working in a trade, wrapping duct. You wrap duct all day long. You're up and down a ladder. You're cutting fiberglass. You're wiring it. It's very repetitive, hour after hour, day after day, week after week. And then it begins to intrude upon your dreams. And in your dream, you wake up mentally exhausted because all night long, you've been wrapping duct just to wrap some more duct. <laughs> you're like, oh, I've already been doing this for free all night long. Or maybe you played too much Tetris before bed and all you can hear is that same 30 second loop with those blocks falling and just rotating in your brain. Okay, much activity. It can give you this dream that's not for God. Well, maybe God's saying, you're playing too much Tetris. So having many dreams, it doesn't mean they're from God. It doesn't mean the messages are from him, though God does give dreams and he does interpret them. He can use them to speak to people. In the book of Genesis, we've read of many people that God spoke to through dreams, like warning Abimelech when he took Sarah into his household. He said, you're a dead man. You've taken a, a married woman into your house. Jacob in Bethel, right? He has a dream and he sees the angels ascending and descending upon the ladder. Laban, God said, be careful what you say to Joseph. They don't just say anything. You don't say good or bad to him. We read of Gideon. He went down into the Midianite camp and he hears this man recalling his dream and, and in the interpretation of it, he's encouraged to press on knowing that God was with him. And through the scriptures, Joseph, he's had a couple dreams. Solomon, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. Joseph in the New Testament three times spoken to God about where he should go based upon a dream. Pilate's wife, she warned Pilate, that do nothing to this just man because I've suffered many things because of a dream that I had of him. And in Acts 2.17, Peter quotes the prophet Joel that in these last days, God will pour out his spirit, that sons and daughters would prophesy, see visions, and old men would dream dreams, that this is a way that God does speak. Now, while we should be open to God speaking in these ways, the primary way we know he speaks and has spoken is through his word, the Bible. If we're looking for spiritual significance in everything or even in dreams rather than God's word, that is a snare. So we must look to him. We must trust him. And from God's word, we can know what's a legitimate or an illegitimate dream because a message from God will not contradict scripture and it will, always, it will never be equal to scripture because God's word is divinely inspired and established. So interpretations of dreams, they belong to God. There's no shortage of authors or uh, uh, Christian authors along with spiritists and occultists who claim to have keys to unlock and interpret dreams. And God warned his people not to use dreams to deceive. I thought we'd turn to that in Jeremiah 23, 25 that bad interpretations, they can lead to sin. And so we must, if God warned his people, we too should be on guard against deceptions. Jeremiah 23, 25 through 32. 
God's rebuttal to the prophets who were dreaming. He says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. He who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them, therefore they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. So if we're putting stock in dreams over the word of God, we can fall prey to deception. And there were prophets who were deceived, believing they had heard from God, but they also deceived the people by repeating them. And he said, they speak these things so that my people would forget me. The dreams of liars, though, they would amount to nothing, like chaff. He's like, God's word, it's like a fire. Fire and chaff, what happens when they come together? The chaff is just gone. It's ash. That's not even seen. But God's word, it goes to work. It is like a hammer that can break the hardest of hearts. It can tear down the strongholds. It can bring fierce judgment against deceivers. And so he's like, I'm not threatened by these dreams and by these lies by these reckless things that people say, this reckless spiritualizing of things, that doesn't confront me at all, but I'm against you. That's what God was saying. Reckless driving, thats it's defined as willful or cruel disregard for safety of people and property. And if we're spiritualizing dreams recklessly, then that is dangerous for yourself and others. So the Bible warns us. Today's passage, though, it teaches us interpretations are from the Lord. And his word will come to pass. Our confidence rests in him. Picking up in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 40. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded. Its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. The chief butler, he gets some courage and he shares his dream with Joseph. He says, in my dream, there was a vine. It had three branches. The blossoms brought forth ripe grapes and I took them. I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. I put the cup in his hand. And Joseph gives the interpretation on the spot. God gave him the interpretation. 
And he explained that three branches were three days, and within three days, Pharaoh would restore him to his previous position he enjoyed as the chief cupbearer. And within three days, it would be fulfilled. So we can know it was a true interpretation. And Joseph was really convinced this was true because he says to the man, remember me when you leave this prison and you're in Pharaoh's presence again? Speak well on my behalf that I could leave this place because I am here unjustly. I want to be free of this prison. And notice the way that he talks about his situation. He doesn't, he says, I was kidnapped. He doesn't say by who. And then he, and then he doesn't say why he's in prison. Who who was behind that? Who deceived? Who lied? So he doesn't throw anyone under the bus here. He's not name dropping with any sort of gossip. He just talks about his predicament and how he would like to be out of prison. He doesn't try to elicit pity by saying, my own brother sold me into slavery, which was true. He didn't condemn Potiphar or his wife who lied about him. This is a man who did not give place to resentment. Now, our flesh resents everyone that seems to be against us. And in telling a story, we can be, we're making our point, but we can like, be like a basketballer who's going in for a rebound and is maliciously throwing a few elbows on the way. It's just part of the game. Man, I, pl I play this game how it should be played. And you're trying to dish out a little punishment on the way in to, to assert yourself. And we can do that with our words. Throw a few elbows. Inflict a little, little, uh, give them a taste of how you really feel. Pretend it was accidental. But that's unloving. Jesus says we ought to love our enemies. Consider 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5 in the NIV. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, the New King James, or King James, it says, thinks no evil. And this is a specific way that we can think evil, is to keep records of how others have wronged us. And we're always bringing them to remembrance, and we're reminding others about the things they said, or they did, that offended us, rather than releasing them of that guilt. Because as much as we want the benefit of this, we ought to be walking in this. So if we're going to hold others to this, this standard of righteousness, well, we ought to embrace it ourselves. Joseph did not have an opportunity to reconcile with his brothers. He didn't have an opportunity to reconcile with Potiphar or his wife, but he didn't nurse a grudge. There was no bitterness or resentment. His thoughts were like, guys, you're down. What's up? How can I help you? He's thinking about them, not about how he's been harmed. He was. God helped him to forgive people he had not forgotten. And he asked the butler to remember him. He says, remember me. Maybe this was God's means of him being released. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket of my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Oh, okay. 
pretty full on. The chief baker, he has a dream. It seems like he wasn't going to divulge it, but since there was a good interpretation or one that was favorable, he's like, well, I'll try my luck too. So he says, this is what I dreamed. I, I had these three baskets on my head, and, and as I'm bringing these baked goods to Pharaoh, the, 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 the bread in the top basket didn't make it because all these birds came and ate it. It's like he wouldn't have said it because he was concerned it would be a bad interpretation for him, as if ignorance would prevent the fulfillment of it. Interesting. Again, Joseph provides the interpretation immediately. He says, within three days, you will be beheaded, and you will be hung on a tree as food for birds. Now, both of these are good interpretations. We may say, oh, that's a bad interpretation. Well, it was good because it was true. It was accurate. It was factual. Those who hold forth God's word will often be given true words that can be offensive to the hearers because humans are not in agreement with God. And because we are not in agreement with him, we, will be, we can be offended. And out of human pity, if we are the messenger, we might want to soften the blow because we don't want to be offensive to people. But a good messenger will never change the message. Who can say how God used this particular interpretation for good in the life of the baker? People will not submit to expensive, painful, invasive, life-threatening surgery unless they believe that without intervention, they will die. It takes that sort of knowledge, like you have this very serious condition. There is a treatment. It's going to cost you. It's going to take rehabilitation, but this is the only way. And someone's like, okay, I'll let you do that to my body. I will let you cut me open and remove this or change this so that I can live, so you can fix this heart problem I have. And they'll submit to it. They'll ask for it because they know, they're convinced that they need it. We have come to salvation through faith in Jesus because we knew that we were headed for destruction. We deserve death and hell for our sins. Our conscience was awakened to a need by God's word that we didn't know we had. Spurgeon said this, he, he said, as the sharp needle prepares the way for the thread, so the piercing law makes a way for the bright silver thread of divine grace. The lancet is quite as needful as the healing balm. When you have an abscess that needs to be dealt with, you can't just put some cream on it and just say, oh, it's all better now. And so God's law, it shows us where we're wrong so that we can receive the grace that God has extended to us. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, as he's addressing the men who said, you know, we're hearing strange tongues, people praising God in our own languages, what's this about? And Peter preached Christ. And he said, you guys crucified the Lord of glory. You, you're guilty of the blood of the Son of God, the anointed one the Father sent. And it said they were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They realized they did wrong and they wanted to do what was right. Those who believe God's word will hear hard truths and receive them gladly by his grace. It's not our job to change minds or hearts, but we're called to speak the truth of God boldly, plainly, without apology. God's words are life. We need him. 
Genesis 40, verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. On the third day, or by the third day, all these came to pass, these interpretations. It was Pharaoh's birthday. He made a feast. He gathered, uh, he, he brought both the baker and the uh, butler out of prison. And then he restored the butler to his position, but he hanged the baker. And it says, like we think, if someone sees a miracle, they will just respond. They'll respond in a in a in an, uh, I guess, an appropriate way. Like, wow, the God of Joseph is the real God. Like, they just connect the dots. True interpretation in both these cases. Wow, that's miraculous that he could know that. What God does he worship? That's the God I need. Not Pharaoh, but God. Not Ra, not any of these other gods, but God. But it says, he forgot. The New Living Translation says, he did not give him another thought. It's just out of his mind. Well, I'm out of prison. Great. I'm back, back in the saddle. Cut bearer to Pharaoh. Life is good. I don't believe there's any malice towards Joseph. Forgetfulness is just indicative of human weakness. We forget things. We've all forgotten many, like we can't remember the things we've forgotten until we try to remember. And then we realize, oh, I can't remember that person's name. Um, and, and we'd love to remember those things. Had Joseph put his hope in the baker, or the butler, sorry, if he had put his faith in the butler, he would have put his faith in the wrong place because he forgot all about him. But his hope was not in man, but God who was with him, who knew him, who remembered him. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon spoke of a poor wise man who also was forgotten. He wrote this in Ecclesiastes 9.13. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. So a great king besieges this little city, few people inside, but there was this poor wise man who had a plan of how to thwart this siege, and he successfully delivered the people. The whole city is saved. Despite the benefit of this man, no one remembered him. The text describes him as a wise man. We see in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Psalms that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So this is a God-fearing man. This is one who feared God, and a wise man chooses to walk in love, even if he received no reward, no recognition. This poor wise man was not helping out because he wanted a monument or a street named after him. He was doing it for the good of others. Joseph, he did not interpret dreams so he could get out of prison. He's like, this is my ticket to freedom. That wasn't why he did that. He did it out of love. Because he cared about these men and, God, and glorified God in giving that interpretation truthfully. They deserved to be remembered, but they were forgotten. Now people, can they forget us? Yes, they will forget us, but God remembers all who cry out to him. 
He also takes action. Sometimes we remember something and it doesn't correlate with any particular action. We're just like, oh yeah, I need to do that. And then five seconds later, we forgot what we needed to do. Or I'm like, all right, I need to buy this and this at the shops today. And I remember one, but I forget the other. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to go back. Uh, so we, we can remember but forget. We don't always take the, the associated action. But God, he takes action. He remembers. He responds to those who cry out to him. When people cried out in bondage in Egypt, it says God remembered the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he brought them out. Right? He sent Moses. He did those mighty wonders among them so that his people would be delivered according to his word. Samson, he was blinded, he was bound, he was mocked by the Philistines. And he was led to those supportive pillars in the temple of Dagon. And in Judges 16, 28, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Did God remember Samson? Yes, he did. He gave him miraculous strength to push down those pillars and to destroy more Philistines in a day than he had in his whole life as a judge. This is a man that didn't always remember God. He didn't remember what God held him accountable to be as a Nazarite. But God remembered him when he cried out to him. Hannah, she was barren. She went up to the, ta the tabernacle to pray. And with tears, she said in 1 Samuel 1.11, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Did God remember Hannah? Yes. He gave her a son, Samuel, and five children besides, because he remembered her. He responded to her prayer. In his affliction, we read of Nehemiah, Job, David, Jeremiah. They all prayed, God, remember me. Remember me. And God did. After all God did through Gideon, through his judges, through his people, the way that he provided for them for 40 years, just was with them the whole time with his presence physically before them. Judges 8.34 says, Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. They used to look around and there were enemies everywhere. Now they were all gone because God delivered them, but then they forgot God. They didn't remember him. Though God's people did not remember him, God is gracious to take action by sending Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Messiah, to be crucified. And he's with two criminals on Calvary. Luke recorded a conversation between them in Luke 23, 42 and 43. It says, one of the criminals, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Lord, he knows all the sheep of his pasture. He knows them all by name. He will remember them and he will be moved to action on their behalf to save them, to deliver them, to help them. Now, before Jesus was crucified, during the Passover meal, he instituted communion to remember him and to proclaim his death until he comes. So please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, 
starting in verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-three. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Our remembrance of Jesus, it's not to be reserved for once a month, once a week, once a day, once a meal. Our life is to be a living memorial of God's goodness and faithfulness to us. That in the, in the, after just being betrayed, he gives thanks. He takes that bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he distributes it so that his disciples may partake of it and showing that spiritual reality of what he had done in their lives. That his body would be broken on the cross So they were doing this in anticipation of what would happen the following day. We do this looking back in obedience to what has has occurred and the spiritual reality that's now true in our hearts because Jesus was broken so that we might be made whole. His blood was poured out so that atonement could be made and we could be gathered together as his own children. When we feel troubled and afflicted, God has not forgotten us. He is with us. It's we who forget him. That's why we lack comfort and we lack peace when we're troubled. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That he's preparing a place for us. To people in Jerusalem who felt forsaken and forgotten by God, this is what Isaiah 49, 16 says, See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. It's like we, write, might, uh, we might write a note on our hands to remind us of something, but he says, guys, I have inscribed you on my hands. It's like when there, you are always before me, your walls, I always see them. I know where Jerusalem is. My eyes are always on that place. And if God has inscribed that on the palms of his hands and the walls of Jerusalem are continually before him, how much more us as born-again Christians, the holy habitation of the Holy Spirit, now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God looks upon us and he's like, I haven't forgotten you. I allowed my hands to be engraved, my side to be pierced, my feet to be pierced. The marks of our sin upon Christ are permanent, yet... He has made our sin as if it never was. He has washed us clean. We've now been purified. We've been made holy. We've been set apart and accepted into the beloved by grace through faith in him. How good and gracious God is to offer us such salvation. We who forget him. But he says to us, remember me. Let's live remembering and proclaiming our Lord who will never leave or forsake us. So every day, that's the day to remember 
Christ, not just when we partake of communion together. One day we're going to be in glory with him, and it will all be because of him, because of what he has paid, because of what he has promised, and his faithfulness to perform it. What a marvelous thing God does and remembers us because of his covenant. Even when we forget, he never does. He remembers. I'd like to ask the worship team to come forward and lead us in a song. And as they're singing, just invite those who are born again and have received Jesus as Savior to take of the bread and the cup, and then we will partake together. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this word today. The fact that Joseph was forgotten contrasted with you will never forget. You will remember us. And so we pray, Lord, remember us. And we know that you will. We know that you have. We know that you'll never forget. Thank you, Lord, that you just know everything. And you know our needs, you know our desires, you know our pains and our sorrows. You also know where there are areas perhaps of bitterness and resentment in our hearts. And Lord, we confess our need for forgiveness to you. Our need to change, we lay that at your feet. Our sin, Lord, that, that, and our, our weights that easily weigh us down, we just cast them before you, knowing that you are able to deliver us and to save. Even as Jesus rose from the dead, your power is at work to transform us, to turn that bitter heart into one that is sweet and filled with your love. I pray, Lord, that work would be embraced by us as we are sanctified by you. We would be looking to you, trusting you, remembering you, knowing we are not forgotten. Lord, if there are any in a a spiritual prison of sorts today, I pray that they would look to you. And thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your power to save, that you are gracious and compassionate and full of mercy, that you, you reach out to us in our undeserving state in our unworthiness because you are righteous, because you are just, gracious, and loving. And so Lord, we respond to that with joy today. Thank you for taking away our shame and our sackcloth and giving us the gladness uh, that marks the children of God. I pray, Lord, we would rejoice in you. We would celebrate you. We would boldly proclaim you because you are, you are coming And we want to be ready to receive you with joy. Thank you, Lord, again, for this time and for this word. And pray that you would be honored and glorified as we remember you and proclaim your death to you come. In Jesus' name, amen.